0: I'm at Weston tonight. I'm joined by the biggest, the wettest, the sexiest one of them all. Our good pal, Big Wet Sex. I Are mean, you I mean BFS, BWS. Damn it! Wow. <laughs> wow, that's my best growl ever. That was I, a good one. I, I've never been able to do that. That was a good one. Damn. You should call your son into the room real fast and scare him off again.
1: <laughs> no, it's only when I make fun of him for having a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's what I meant by that. I, I I'm sure that will come out a lot worse than the way I meant it, but whatever. Uh, uh-huh. uh So did you? Oh my
1: you... God! The Giants just scored again. It's cool. The Giants. Eli
0: Manning's swan song. Yeah. Good for him. Uh. It, anyway. Did you know that the Houston Texans beat the New England Patriots?
1: So is every so for the next like five years is every gonna is every show gonna start like that? I'm just curious.
0: Maybe for the rest of the season. I think for the rest of the season because like after last week, like I experienced ego death after that hallucinogenic trip we all went on whenever Houston beat the Patriots finally for the first time this decade, and we finally experienced something new. So I'm I'm satiated for the rest of the season <laughs> because that thing I waited so long to have happened finally happened, and then Houston only really lost thirty to twenty four to Denver. Uh, I wasn't upset at all. I was like expecting them to win a close game, but, like I was expecting like a letdown performance because that's what Houston typically does. I wasn't expecting this. I don't think anybody really was at all. But they went down 21-0, to three, and of course because it's Bill O'Brien, it's his favorite thing in the world to do. Uh, scored 21 meaningless points before the end of the game. So BFT, how do you feel after this game? Because I feel nothing. Like I said, I'm full. Like you know, like I don't know. Like I feel great. After last week, so are you angry, upset, reaffirming, bewildered, accepting? If this was 2002, what would your MySpace mood be? It'd <laughs> be like B, it, BFD what is were we feeling. Were like 12 in, in 2002? My God, man. Yeah, right about that.
1: <laughs> I'm like
0: I'm like 20 something.
1: Uh... So, so uh, you know, we, we talked about it last week, that this just seemed like a game that the Texans are going to lose. It just really seemed like it. You know, it's not a game that you want to say, yeah, they we're going to lose, and you're not going to pick them to lose when you're playing a pretty poorly coached, poorly handled Denver team. Poorly GM, John Elway, man. What a scrub. But it, it was the it was way they lost, I guess. That was so surprising. I wasn't expecting Denver and Drew Locke. Those words even make sense <laughs> Drew Locke, like dropping 38 points on on us. But you know, I, I guess I'm gonna go ahead and point to it was Cream Jackson Day on Sunday, and and let's just celebrate Cream Jackson for a moment.
0: Yeah, Cream Jackson was spectacular. Uh, so this was like definitely Cream Jackson murder revenge game. He was like completely absurd. <laughs> So he had, he returned a lateral fumble for a touchdown. He dropped two interceptions. He almost killed DeAndre Hopkins. Like, almost. And I know that, I don't understand the rules really, but like Hopkins had the ball in his hands. And so maybe that's what makes it not a defenseless receiver hit. But like, I thought Hopkins was dead after that one. Um, He put Carlos Hyde into a body bag. He had one interception, four passes defense, 11 tackles, one tackle for a loss. So he spent like, what? The last three, four years, clamoring for Kareem Jackson moved to strong safety, and they finally did it last season. But because of injuries in the secondary, you know, to Kevin Johnson, kind of specifically, they were forced to move back to cornerback again. So, do you think he was out there trying to get his revenge, or did Denver finally, you know, learn how to utilize him, or was this just like this is how Kareem Jackson plays football, and he just had a really good game?
1: I mean, I really do think this is how he plays football. I, I don't, you know. Just because you're playing the team that, that didn't re-sign you doesn't all of a sudden turn you into a superhero. It's not like a setting on Madden or anything like that where, oh, revenge game, 100 rating. You know It's not like that's what happens. He's always been good, and he was always going to be good playing strong safety. He was always going to be Hall of Fame level, in my never-humble opinion, playing strong safety. The guy is that good. I mean, he's that good in front support. He's that good in coverage, what you're going to expect from a strong safety. We've been, I've been talking about him going to safety since. God, what year is this? Like 2013 or something like that? So, not surprised. It's been there the entire time.
0: Yeah, I know we talked about this You know, probably about three or four years ago or so. Um, And he, I mean, he was awesome. I think the best play he had this game actually was that flat route throw to Darren Fell's where he broke on immediately and took out, you know, 6 foot 7, 275, Darren Fells just cut his legs off completely. And that forced that fourth and one which became empty set. Watts gets the ball tipped by Shelby Harris and then the Broncos scored again making that game 28 to 0. And that was kind of it at that point. Or probably tw- I guess it was 31 to 3 at that point. My mistake. Um but yeah, I mean, he was he was spectacular and I I don't know how much of it is like just him playing strong safety. I know Vic Van does a great job at us- utilizing his cornerbacks and secondary players in a variety of ways to use them really well. He's not that great at managing his front seven, but uh, the secondary specifically. And he had a, he had a really good game plan against Houston. I felt in this game, aside from Jackson, I think the funny part about this game was like, was like, man, Jackson's angry out there. He's killing people. It's like, <laughs> no, Jackson's been doing this his entire career in Houston. Like, none of this is anything new. You just were completely you know, missing all these like murderous, you know, gut splattering tackles and. Also in Denver, he's been doing this all season there too. Like I've watched way too many Denver games. I see these like hits. I know. I'm like, oh my, what in the world is that? And then and then you you rewind it. You check the roster, and you see Cream Jack. You see number twenty two. Like oh yeah yeah, I forgot Cream is still there, and he's still like a you know a complete just like serial killer out there in the field.
1: Yeah, no, nothing has changed. I mean, we we've talked about Helm. I guess after his rookie season, here on this podcast, and I've been you know how many years I've been doing this podcast now, but we talked about him being the best run support cornerback in the NFL for years, And yeah. now you put him in his more natural position, you let him face the quarterback, and you let him do the damage. None of this was a surprise on Sunday.
0: Mm-hmm. You're like the Irishman when Robert De Niro is just like the last one left, and all of his friends are dead. That's you except for the podcast. I'm just like your caretaker has to change your diaper.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be nasty tonight, baby.
0: <laughs> so we have a few um, listener questions. One is from at 5 Dirt, who needs to be checking his mailbox, the winner of the True Detective Season 2 uh, Spotify contest. He asks, why do the Texans always come out flat after a good win?
1: I, I, I don't even think you need to qualify it. Why do the Texans always come out flat? I mean, we're the worst scoring team in the NFL in the first quarter. This is not new Bill O'Brien teams do not come out hot in the first quarter and, and the reason is, and I'm just gonna go back to the Patriots game and i'm gonna I'm just gonna keep hammering this. don't run Carlos Hyde up the middle for seven of the first eight first downs with Duke Johnson running up the middle for the other first down to start off the game. I mean everybody knows what bill O'Brien's gonna do and and Carlos Hyde look. I get it. His success rate is great. He's also going to wind up in the bottom three in every other like advanced metric for running backs because he's not good. He's been he's been great comparatively speaking this year, but he's still not good. And and that's why the Texans always come out and suck is because Bill O'Brien has no imagination. Gary Kubiak, and I, I went back um God, I went back and looked at some of the old uh, comments on the blog that it made about Kubiak and the fact that I was so hated the script that he did he always scripted the first 15 plays of the game it, and it always drove me up the wall because you always had like okay okay we've got this advantage now let's take advantage of it and then like then it'd be like some stupid play call Bill O'Brien if he started scripting the first 15 would be the best thing he could ever do because like uh, maybe he would actually be able to sit down and see Carlos hide up the middle of the first 15 plays on his his play call is a bad idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll get to establish the run later on. We'll make this just a weekly feature now. After talking about for like five weeks, and I'm glad that you brought it up and like we're keeping track of it in the hair of the dog thread because I was kind of tired of like, oh wait, how many do that? you know checking ESPN and going back and verifying? Because uh, I have a very slow brain, so it's hard for me to keep up to date with a lot of stuff. Live this game happens, and I usually have to go back and watch it too. You fully understand it as well. Um, I think it really kind of comes down to two things. One thing we've talked about a lot is you see Bill O'Brien fail to understand matchup advantages he has available to him until there's like 32 minutes of the game has gone by. These were really great examples against Indy the second time, against Oakland this year, um, where you're just like, yeah, this against Atlanta is another good example too, where you're going, you have these matchup uh, advantages available to you. And you don't exploit them right away. You don't do that in the first quarter. You run your game and your offense that isn't very good, and then you fail to do things like you know attack, Atlanta secondary deep downfield, Will Fuller, until so you reach the second half and that sort of thing. And the second thing, second thing I think too is that if you look at all the advanced stats, and I mean I wouldn't even call point differential advanced stat, but you brought this up uh, earlier this week as well too. Like Houston has a I think point differential plus five right now. Which is like that for a mediocre team, and you can pull it up and see exactly what it is. They're 15th in DVOA, I believe. So like they're you know mediocre football team in a lot of ways, and so whenever they go down by seven points or 14 points, um, games like this tend to happen too. And like it all kind of balances itself out over the long course of a season. So you have like if you're kind of like a mediocre or if, not necessarily like the talent's mediocre, but when your performance is mediocre, you're gonna get blown out by good teams. Um now I wouldn't even call this Denver team a good team at all whatsoever. Like they're a more talented team. They just got blown out. You're going to win close games, which they've done, you know, throughout the season. You're going to lose close games, and then you're going to like beat bad teams by a lot of points. And this Denver game kind of just seemed like a letdown that was seemed kind of inevitable after the win over New England. But you know, I, I just say whenever your performance is like you have these le- these bad games or whatever the course of the season, and your performance is just kind of mediocre for the entire year, games like this are going to happen. And whether it happens against Baltimore or happens against Denver, and it's happened to Bill O'Brien you know, throughout his career, if you go back to even 14, they got blown out by Miami and Atlanta back-to-back weeks, and those aren't even particularly good teams at all either. Uh, you know, this sort of stuff kind of happens, you know?
1: Yeah, it, and there's also, like, the Texans have always been on the successful side of living on the edge as a football team. Yeah. And what I mean by that is one-score games, really, it just comes to that, is we are incredibly incredibly lucky when it comes to one score games and so when you look at the rest of the kind of the the curriculum vitae that that uh, that Bill O'Brien has I mean if you take out if you say okay one score games are going to be 500 just like everybody else in the world then all of a sudden the Texas ain't so great but somehow we win those one score games and it's why we're eight and five and we are net plus eight on points while the L. A. Chargers are five and eight, and they're plus thirty eight on points,
0: and they're and zero eight because... in one score games this year. Yeah, it's just awful. <laughs> They've lost lock. eight games, and they're all by one score, which is like the most Los Angeles season ever. Which is really beautiful in its right. own way. And I'm I mean, like the one year that Houston had a bad record in one score games that Bill O'Brien was 2017, and that was the Tom Savage year. And also, you know. Deshaun Watson lost his close, those two close one-score games, too, as well. I mean, I guess that's kind of the general thing with O'Brien since he's been a coach. Uh, but this game specifically, really what happened was that the things that have been ignored, and a lot of stuff that we bring up whenever we write and talk about this team is kind of like that thing you know, mentioned before that Mike Meltzer, when he quoted Jeff Van Gundy, which I'll quote again, is that don't ignore the things and wins that you would address in a loss. And that's exactly what happened this game, where we've been talking about all year long, even going back to the summer, now, this is gonna be a bad pass defense without Jadevion Clown here. And then heaven forbid something happened to JJ it would be even worse. You know, he's missed three of the last four years and he got hurt again this year. And so now it's like you have no pass rush. Your secondary, I've just been kind of waiting for it to have a game like this. You know, Gary Conley did a lot of chase back pass defenses and he's been getting beat consistently. Uh, he hasn't been particularly good. You know, Hargreaves had two good games in a row, but he's been bad his entire career. Lion Johnson Jr. has gone away with a lot of holding penalties and, you know, has been burnt, been beat deep, but he's been able to kind of, you know, get by. Uh, Jonathan Joseph's older and slower. Bradley Roby's a good player, but he's not a guy who you want to be your number one cornerback overall. And so I never felt like the secondary was particularly good. The safety play is good, but, you know, the cornerback play really all isn't all that much. And without pass rush, we've been kind of sitting here waiting for you know, a game like this to have happened. It didn't happen against New England. It didn't happen the week before against the Colts because they just bashed their heads in the line of scrimmage over and over again. It happened with, against the Jaguars in London because they tried to attack Houston's defense by throwing a bunch of uh, flat routes that were you know terrible and stupid and awful. But here we are, Houston's 25th in pass defense DVO entering this game. Uh, their pass defense was finally stressed and attacked. Uh, They're 30th against the short passing game too. And so this is a game where Houston had their entire secondary finally healthy as well. And Drew Locke was 12-14 for 107 yards and two touchdowns on throws from 0-10 to yards through the air uh the line of scrimmage and he was four or six for hundred eighteen yards, ten through twenty yards. He wasn't particularly great on the deep passes. He was one for two through one reception that Tayshawn Gibson had in the third quarter as well. So BFD, how much blame do you put on like why did why did Denver have so much success attacking Houston like this with their short passing game?
1: I, I think it's because um well, we we're not very good against the pass. I mean, it, you know, we can talk about, okay, Romeo Cornell, well, he was trying to switch from zone to, to man. And, and you made the comment, I think it was a tweet that, you know, Romeo was just trying everything. He was just throwing everything. You know, we're swapping guys out. Jonathan Joseph has never looked slower than he did on Sunday. I mean, he, he, he looked ancient. Um, the play calling, the play design, that one uh, kind of delayed pass to the tight end, whose name I'm completely... Was that Hireman, or was that the other dude?
0: Um, they had Hireman, and then they had Brady, which is somebody I've never, never heard before.
1: So uh, that was a, just a great play design, let him in the block, and he, and he releases, and there's nobody around him, because we were in coverage, so everybody had backs to him. And so I think Romeo Cornell was like, oh, I can't let that happen again. I'm going to go back to zone. And so they, they kept putting him kind of in a bad place. But look, the fact is, if you look at who... The quarterbacks are on this team, they're horrible. And, and I, I pulled up again is PFF, grain of salt. Yeah, Bradley yeah. Roby is 60th.
0: So the rule is if you bring up PFF on the podcast, you have to call it pro fartball focus. That's the rule. Pro,
1: pro fartball fo- focus. And yeah, I'm good with that. That's the rule. But <clears throat> Bro, Roby is, is uh, 60th. Conley is 76th. Joseph, 92nd. Uh, Hargraves, 160. Kian Crossan. Remember, we actually sent a draft pick to the Patriots for Kian Crossan. 186. Phillip Gaines, 197. And I haven't even gotten Alani Johnson yet, Matt. 198. And he has gotten 476 snaps. Now, look, look. The thing is, with pro-fartball focus, and that's really hard to say, is that, like, they don't know the play that's called. Like, right? It's just like it's a couple of guys in their mom's basement trying to figure this out. But when I watch, like, the games and I see Lonnie Johnson out there, I see that he can't – he's not close to people. He's being burned. He takes chances he shouldn't. He really is the worst cornerback in football. And look, 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 look. Kareem Jackson, we talked about Kareem Jackson. He was a terrible cornerback his rookie year with the Texans, but he was not the worst cornerback in football. Lonnie Johnson is legit the worst active cornerback in football today, and I don't think he's going to get much better. So there's not any talent on that in our defensive backs, at our cornerback position. There's Bradley Roby, yeah, and the rest of them are just crap.
0: Yeah, and I mean this game you know, specifically, and like I didn't like Lonnie Johnson coming out of college. Like I thought he was a, a body. He's a specimen. He's a laboratory creature. But he didn't know how to play football mainly because he was so bad at pressing guys to the line of scrimmage, and he wasn't like particularly a great tackle. And like he's had, he's had like moments where he's you know strong and you know buying guys from the five yard line. And uh, you know there's some plays against Travis Kelsey that come to mind. But overall, you know whenever they actually are watching him and watching what he does. At least the holding penalties. And this game was a good example of that. And like Houston's entire secondary misplays. Conley gave up an easy, you know, 11 yard completion on a slant route playing off man that he did, he failed to break on. Um, Leo Adai was chasing Noah Fant on that touchdown throw against him in the, slant, in the slot. And that was like a really good throw from Locke, but Adai is playing press man and he's chasing, you know, one yard from the line of scrimmage. And whenever you're a quarterback and you have a go-route like that and you see the back of the defender's head, that's a no-doubt, I'm going to make this throw, short throw. And even as a rookie, Locke was able to make that. Um, Roby missed a, p- a PD coming down to play a flat route as well. John Joseph missed a pass deflection against Noah Fant that turned into a 48-yard gain to start the game. McKinney got beat a ton in isolated man coverage. Um, he played a lot of zone, too, in the short middle, and he was, fa- he was unable to go from that point to chase those out-routes, too. There was a lot of free defenders against zone coverage. Johnson Jr. had two holding penalties, and two of them were also really vital as well. Uh, Bradley Roby had a holding penalty that ended a merciless sack that took him you know, eight seconds to make two. And I know there's a lot of talk about, like, Romeo or Cornell having a bad game plan in this game, but I necessarily don't. I think he just tried everything he could. He tried off-man, he tried press-man, he tried a variety of zone coverages, he tried cover three, cover four, cover two, and just, like, nothing really worked all that well for him. Um, it was just Denver did a really great job doing two things attacking them in the, short ga- in the shorter part of the field, which is Houston's biggest weakness is a pass defense. And two, running play action, but running play action to throw the ball, you know, 12 yards down the field instead of what Houston typically does, which is throw the ball to Darren Phelps for four yards for a first down. And so they did a really great job and made more aggressive. And Houston, the slower cornerback play too, they had trouble kind of breaking on the ball and missed some tackles as well because of that. So I don't know. I don't know what Cornell could have done differently. I'm the biggest cause for concern was the fact that they gave up so many open receivers and zone coverage. And that was one of the things that we really praised and were really kind of confused about against Indy and against New England was how much they played zone coverage, were able to pass uh, receivers very well and not give up those easy, those easy wide-open throws, especially considering you have a secondary that's played so many different pieces, has gone through so many different guys out there. And now this fully healthy secondary, they kind of went, that, one, that one of those fears that we had became fully realized in this game too.
1: Yeah, and just to to pile on a little bit more. Lonnie Johnston has a 130.2 quarterback rating against him. And that's a legit. I, I think when it comes to PAF fartball F that that's a legit stat. He gives up 12.9 yards per play per pass. I mean, he turns every quarterback we play into an instant Hall of Famer. 7 touchdowns against this year. Uh, he he is truly he he is a he is a, a MVP maker at cornerback. Um But one thing I'm glad you brought up was the play against the pass uh, by Zach Cunningham and Bernardrick McKinney. Uh, I I think they're, when I checked it earlier, I think they're combined on the game with something like a 120 NFL rating against McKinney is, is really struggling at pass coverage. Cunningham isn't much better. They're both great against the run, but man, you can pick on those two guys all day long.
0: And I I do think McKinney has been better in in the past this year. Um, I know Cunningham has been, like, liquefied by, uh, like, really great running backs. You know, McCaffrey got one's really good. I know jo- uh, Josh Jacobs got one's really good, too. And he's had some issues with that. But they've been better against the past than they have typically this year. But the last two weeks have been problems. So I think New England kind of figured that out, too, when they started going to James White as well in that one. But I do think the secondary could be, like, if you squint hard enough and you drank enough or, you know, you were feeling really light in your step, and the sun was just glowing at that perfect uh, light intent. You can probably talk yourself in the secondary being you know fine or passable, if this team had a good pass rush. And so the problem here is that the pass rush is really bad. The Denver Broncos were 27th in just a sack rate, 28th in pressure rate. This week they tried out Garrett Bowles, Dalton Risner, Alt- Austin Schlotman, who was in for Ronald Leary, Kyle McGovern at center, and Juwan James started at right tackle but was eventually. Eventually came out for Elijah Wilkinson, who's been you want like the five worst tackles this league in the league this year. Um, That's was protecting Locke in this game. He used to manage one sack and seven quarterback hits, and Locke attempted, um, Locke attempted a lot of passes. I don't know. He was attempted twenty-seven passes. He completed twenty-two of them, and like I expected the pass rush to be bad this game, but I didn't expect it to be like. Completely non existent. And even though they had seven quarterback hits, a lot of these quarterback hits were like DJ Reader driving the guard into Locke in the pocket, or like Locke that has the ball for five seconds and there's nobody around, he's chasing or whatever. I thought the pass rush was just absolutely atrocious in this game too.
1: Yeah, and should we just bring it up now? Why did Jacob Martin get thirteen snaps?
0: I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not I'm not in the room, you know. I'm looking at the Taco Bell right now.
1: You know, so so I came, I invented a stat a couple of years ago called the pain, quarterback pain uh, rate. And right now, Clowney, Clowney's not having a great season getting to the quarterback. He still creates his pressures and stuff. But he's only getting to the quarterback about 8% of his snaps. Jacob Martin's getting to the quarterback on 12% of his snaps. Why he's getting 13 snaps and Brendan Scarlet is still out there, why anybody else is still out there, I don't know. Again, okay, so one thing you have to remember even if i say this as i say this is Clowney is playing almost every snap per game jacob martin's coming in he's fresher he's got fresher legs and that sort of thing but oh my gosh if if anybody wants to be down on romeo Crinell, look i don't know what you think he's he's going to do about the secondary i don't know what you think he's going to do that cunningham and mckinney can't cover anybody but not playing jacob martin to me was serious
0: yeah i mean well and clowny too like I'm so tired of hearing anything about sack totals at all. But he has 42 quarterback pressures, which is fourth in football this year. And, like, the stuff he has to deal with is absurd. Really, the biggest problem Clowney has is that he can't defend the the bootleg at all. Like, he's running so fast and so hard at run one direction that the quarterback keeps it. Like, he goes, like, he's, it's kind of like he, like, slips and falls down, mm-hmm. down the snow hill, you know, as a skier. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, I think the biggest problem Warren, though, is that he's smaller. So, Cronell doesn't trust him in the run game at all. And also, I don't understand why he doesn't trust in pass protection, because he did drop Whitney Merciless and Scarlett a lot in pass protection. They try to rush three. that It never works. Like I hate when any team rushes three at all whatsoever. Like The only time I've ever seen it work was Jamal Sheard almost picked off a pass earlier this season. But typically, that doesn't work at all whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, you brought up a great point, though, because Martin had 13 snaps. Merciless played 52. Scarlett played 37. Uh, Merciless had one quarterback hit. He had a sack that was just allowed. And that sack, he went through three secondary blockers, a tight end, a tight end lined up in the in a full house backfield, and uh, Philip Lindsay, and that's what took him to hit Drew Locke and a Bradley Roby. Defensive holding penalty ruined that, anyways at all. But I do think Martin's a legitimate pass rusher. I think he's I think he's good. Uh, I think the problem with him is that if a tackle gets his hands on him, he can't beat him at all. And so he has one move, which is edge rush. You know, chop rip. You know, get skinny and uh, he's really good at it, and so it's really going to come down to his ability to turn all that speed into a bull rush or an inside move as tackles keep kind of setting on that, because again, he's just lighter, and so if a guy gets his hands on him, he's done, but he's so good at that one thing that, you know, he's uh, he's more than interesting. I think he's a legitimate pass rusher. Yeah,
1: but I, I think you, what you mentioned as you were going through that is he's not ever going to be able to create a bull rush. Maybe. He's going to be
0: I mean Von Miller. He's Mill- like Von-
1: 225. Yeah, but he can always
0: gain weight. Like Von Miller is a bull rush and He weighs like 255.
1: Well, it's still pretty significant.
0: Yeah, I mean, but he's also 24, or whatever. You guys yeah. can gain some weight. Uh, I mean, but like it doesn't really matter all that much if you have like if you go through an off season, or whatever. But if you have that speed, you get tackles back on their heels, and so they're they're trying to deal with that speed so much, and they're falling backwards, and they don't have the same level of base and stability and so that's what makes the bull rush good. It's the speed that sets up the bull rush. He's never going to be able to just, like, straight bull rush guys consistently at all, but he needs to have some sort of counter to develop, and that's what's going to kind of determine how his career plays out.
1: Yeah, and it's a great point.
0: Um, I think he should watch a lot of Elvis Dumerville tape, personally.
1: Yes, yes, that would be a great guy. And even Lee Suggs, because Lee Suggs came in pretty light.
0: Yeah, um, but and also the kind of weird thing, too, you know, he's the best piece of the clowny trade. I'm not expecting much from Conley. Like Again, like, he can be... I think maybe quite possibly like an okay cornerback if you have a great pass rush, but he's not a good cornerback on this Texans team. And the one thing I don't really understand, like if they liked Martin that much uh, and Barcavius Mingo doesn't exist. And you know, as much as we love big play Mingo, he doesn't exist. But if they liked Martin that much, I don't understand why they didn't try to trade like a fourth round pick for him or something like that to get some pass rushing help. Like they didn't have to trade Jadavia on Clowney to get Martin. And like Martin's not even the same stratosphere as Clowney. As far as just being like a disruptive playmaker, even the pass game included, you know, Martin has a has one sack more than Clowney, but he's not the same level of pass rusher. Even you know, even including the, the more sacks that Martin has right now.
1: No, no, uh, and everything's got to be in perspective. Martin's not going to be able to set an edge for you. He's not going to be able to create negative rushing plays like Clowney can. He can't. Uh, you know, Jason Braddock had the tweet earlier today. You know, talking about how Martin has three and a half sacks versus Clowney three. Great, but that's you know that's apples and Nazi oranges.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a bad comparison for anything at all. You know, it's like saying Watts had, had a bad season this year because he only has four sacks. Right. Not why I'm saying that at all whatsoever? But yeah, I mean it's stupid, it's dumb, and like it's really fun to watch Clowney because you're like, ah, he deals with so like just so much. Like he'll he'll swim over the guard and they pull the other guard and ch- and hit him in the mouth. Or they chip him with, you know, tied in. He's on the ground. And the tackle jumps on top of him. Um, and like again, the bootlegs are kind of funny to watch too for him. So we had another question from at um, Zephyr fifty two, and they asked, "When we have a team on third and long, why do we play the posing receivers eight to ten yards back?" And so for this question, the only thing I really saw whenever it happened was that uh, catch that Conley gave up. I saw Roby give up that one really easy catch in the red zone too, where he's playing off man. But really, I didn't see Cornell play like too much off man. This wasn't like Houston versus Cincinnati, two thousand fourteen, when AJ Green caught nine yard passes against Jonathan Joseph, you know, like eleven times to beat Houston that game.
1: Yeah, and you're gonna see Joseph do that a lot because they are terrified that he's gonna get burned deep. I mean, they they are just absolutely terrified. And his he he's done. Uh, I'm sorry, love you, dude, but you're done. And. you're going to see that a little bit but we got to remember that Romeo Cornell's defense is also kind of predicated on the bend but don't break principle. And so what he does not want to do is he does not want to get beat deep. And so that's just kind of how he plays things. And and sometimes I think it's a little bit too conservative but like Matt said that that wasn't really an over stressful point on Sunday. It hasn't really kind of been a thing this year unless it's Jonathan Joseph.
0: Yeah, and Joseph's like I guess the pin me that bend don't break style. I think they have to play him though cuz you know, what, what are you going to do? Put Lonnie Johnson play? out there, you know? And, like, he's a detective. Like, he can reroute. And he had a pretty good game against New England. He had a good game against Indy with a, against the a hobbled T.Y. Hilton, you know? But, yeah, like, you can't have him play one versus one um, against really anybody. buying. expect a ton of success, but whenever that's him or Lonnie Johnson or him or Gary and Conley or him or Vernon Hargreaves, you know, it's kind of – it makes that decision a lot different, you know?
1: Yeah. And and one thing, you know, you kind of pointed to, he could have had that pick against on that Noah Fant throw to the side. The thing is, is he had to go through Noah Fant to even get to that pass. Mm -hmm. I mean, he took a poor angle. It, it, It really, to me, it showed that he's kind of done physically because it looks like he's close to that ball, but there's no way he's close to that ball. Noah Fant has him completely blocked out. I mean, it's like watching old school Hakeem Olajuwon blocking out in the post. It's just, Just have had no chance for that ball,
0: Mm, and it's even the tackle attempt too that was you know worse than missing the play. And he had an awful tackle attempt against uh, the Colts running back, the guy who lived a thousand lifetimes, Jonathan Williams or whatever his (laughs) name was. He's you know that that poor guy. Uh, He had awful tackle attempt. Yeah, (laughs) he had awful tackle attempt that game too. And Martin was able to cut that one out for a touchdown as well. Um, So we had another question here from at Stroh's fan, you know, and he asks, "Is Whitney Merciless alive?" This is one of the things I've been harping on for like I don't know two months or so. That without interior pass rush, a lot of winning mercilesses pass rush are meaningless or non-existent. They're wide, they're looping, they're grabbing the outside shoulder and hand fighting. Aside from that spin movie he had against Will Richardson Jr., who plays guard in Jacksonville, and doesn't even play left tackle but is filling in for the injured Cam Robinson. He hasn't had much of an interior move at all either. And like he was up against Garrett Bowles and. I thought against a rookie quarterback, against a guy like Bowles, who's like a pretty unrefined pass blocker, that he'd have some success this game. And he really didn't at all whatsoever. Um, Merciless was consistently blocked by him. He didn't do much at all. He had one quarterback hit. And, like, without the interior pressure, his pass rushes don't mean anything because of how wide looping his angles are. And so, like, I know he started off high. I know he had those sacks. He had the interception, whatever. But, like, if you go back and watch this plays, it's DJ Reader collapsing in the pocket. It's um, interior run blitz. It's interior blitzes are collapsing in the pocket. They're stepping the quarterback back and right to his path, or he's able to force some fumbles. So I think I'm not, I think this is just kind of like regression in some ways, you know, where Merciless, I don't think, was ever that great to begin with the season. It was just the forces of, of good, you know, came together for him at those times.
1: Yeah. And when did Merciless kind of fall off the face of the earth? And that was when JJ Watt got hurt.
0: Well, because I mean, even, even had, before it, that, because like that, since the Los Angeles game, he hasn't been very good, you know? Yeah. And Watt's outside rusher too. He's not rushing on the interior. It's like it's more about Reeder and I think Reeder's just tired right now and he's having to do so much in the run game that Reeder hasn't done much as a pass rusher at all. It's not from bull rush for five seconds or whatever. And, you know, hope and pray the quarterback's holding totally on the ball long enough for his rushes to have an impact.
1: Yeah, and, and merciless has always been I mean, his first first three seasons he got nothing but vulture sacks.
0: Yeah, I think his second year in 14 was like that a lot. He had like eight and a half sacks, but a lot of them were kind of long developing and hopping on guy after he's already broken a tackle, too. Yep. Um, We had two questions from at Hippo Krampus as well. Is Vance Joseph still able to coach the secondary? Or is Vance Joseph still available to coach the secondary? Is Carl Watkins necessary to help run defense?
1: I don't even know what Vance Joseph is up to these days. He's, you know where he's at?
0: Yeah, he's the D.C. in Arizona, and Arizona's the worst pass defense in football oh, this year. Oh, God. <laughs>
1: Speaking of teams that have no talent,
0: <laughs> I mean they have some talent though. I I don't know, like
1: well, defensive the defensive squad. I mean they got Peterson and and Buda have, Baker, and they
0: have their first round pick from um from Washington Byron Murphy, but he's pretty crappy. He's been alright this year. He's a physical guy. He's he's gonna be like a he's going like a good like short zone corner, you know. But again, like all most rookie cornerbacks are bad. Right. Like, I don't think you can even name a good one this year. Uh,
1: Yeah, even Grady went downhill quickly after he started out well.
0: He made some tackles, but last week Denzel Ward was the one who was getting beat over there, which is surprising. And then right. uh, and the Colts guy hasn't been that good as well either from Temple. Rocky Sin, like He's just right. kind of slow, well, you know? He's strong, but he's slow.
1: Nobody expected him to be good, though.
0: I, all the Colts people did. They all thought he was going to come in and be a lockdown corner, you know? Yeah. But again, like... But I mean, I guess the point is that Arizona has some talent defense and they're the worst pass defense in football and that really shouldn't be the case all over there. So uh, I don't think I don't think the secondary coaching is the issue. I think it's a talent issue. And then when it comes to Carlos Watkins, like he's whatever. I never understood people who were, I think everybody expected him to be good. Is that you know, internal fan optimistic thing where everybody, your team drafts is going to be good and they're going to be good because he's a Houston Texan now. I never really expected anything much at all from his career from the beginning. So I don't know. Yeah, if Carlos, if Angela Blackson's out there instead, of Carlos Watkins, that's better from a run defense perspective. But it's really kind of like a negligible difference.
1: Yeah, they both suck.
0: Um. Yeah, and shouts out to Angela Blackson. One quarterback hit, zero sacks, nine solo tackles, two tackles for a loss. Getting paid four million dollars this year.
1: Hey, he yeah, at pro fart ball focus. That really is difficult to say. Has him 184 out of 191.
0: Love it. Great. And that's kind of, I posted that article today too. That's kind of a fun one to go back and read the comments on too. It's like you have a great, you have a great run defense. You don't need to pay $4 million for a mediocre double team stopper and you can't pay that much for somebody who can't rush the pass if you don't have that. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah.
1: Brian Gaines sucked. Brian Gaines was I don't done even horrible, then I don't sucked. even
0: know what what decisions Gain had compared to O'Brien though. Like they worked together. You know, like I think Gain made good draft picks, but I don't know. Like you have no idea how to distinguish the difference between the two and like who made what decision, who made the other decisions, you know. Well, that, I think together they had a terrible plan.
1: Yeah, and, and the reason I say that is because Bill O'Brien has gone, has gone out and kind of like just kind of since I'm not going to on the cast, he's kind of cluster kittened everything. So we're going to throw all the draft picks at Miami to get Laramie Tunsell and Kenny Stills. And we're going to go out and give a third for Gary and Conley. We're going to go get Keenan Crossan. We're going to make all these kind of desperate kind of moves. And we're giving all our draft picks away because he doesn't have time to, you know, scout. Yeah. So it, it, there has been kind of a difference where there's kind of been this, um, I don't even know how to put it, kind of sense of urgency to do something. Whereas Brian Gain was just like,
0: yeah. I'm... Yeah, it, that didn't make any sense at all whatsoever. And like I said, I wrote about it. You know, I wrote that article. Brian Game, botched the off season, and he got fired five weeks later. And again, like I don't know who who made the determination between the two, but yeah, having a very passive, timid off season when you have that much cap space in the Sean Watson rookie contract was 100% the wrong decision to make. And then Bill O'Brien took that and then went burned everything to the ground and went everything on this season to have an eight and five team. And if you look at you know, point differential, like we talked about on DVOA and the advanced stats, it's a, a mediocre football team based on performance, but I do think the talent is you know, slightly better than mediocre, which we disagree on, of course. Um, so anything else on defense you want to bring up? Nah. Okay. So Houston started this game on offense throwing the football. They threw it on first and 10 to Jordan Aikens. He turned this into 12 yards. I cried. I couldn't believe yeah, it. Yeah, it was beautiful. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa I thought the world was ending... Um, so do you think Houston had bad game offensively, or was this game just spoiled by a horrendous pass defense and a cream Jackson fumble return touchdown?
1: Yeah, I, I do think, I, I do want to say, like, the offense wasn't too bad. It started off way too slowly, but I, I think that was just kind of... How they play. The, yeah, the Larry Mutunsel false start on that first drive was really a killer. And did he have three or four on...
0: Had I, three. I think it was
1: three, yeah, on Sunday almost every one of them was on third down too. I think two of the three are on third down. So those were killers. Um, the refs, he doesn't have, oh my God. The, when he went in, in the post game was like talking about, oh yeah, the refs have me targeted to do that. Dude, you're like 325 pounds and on the end of the line. Everybody's seeing you back out early. Yeah, he's, like, rock,
0: he's rocking in the stance. He's
1: rocking. Oh my gosh. Well,
0: I understand about it too. It's like he's too good of an athlete to be doing that. You know, he doesn't need to do this. Yeah, his He's fall... Just anticipating. Yeah, I mean his fault well his fall starts around third and five, second and ten, and first and five. Uh the important one you brought up though is that first drive where they had third and five, and that became third and ten, which led to an incompletion of punt. I mean, I think like if you played this game over again and Kareem Jackson doesn't have the forced fumble return touchdown, I think Houston does what they typically do. They scored twenty seven points or so. It was kind of set up to look like that as well too. Um but I don't think the offense was like particularly great. Like I think Bill O'Brien's saying in this pre- post game conference that the Texans' offense offense wasn't bad. I mean, I think it was in the in the context of this game, though. They go down fourteen zero and fall behind all the way down to thirty one three and thirty eight to three. I think in the context of the game, it was it was bad, and it takes those late touchdowns to kind of change things as well too. I think you brought up a great point as well about the slow start. So they've scored three points on their opening drive this year, which is tied thirtieth. Um, they're tied last of the Redskins for first quarter points as well too. And, like, these—and, like, the matchups that they go in attack, they're there from the very beginning, you know? Like, getting getting your like getting Kiki Cutie on, like, drag routes against slow linebackers is there from the very beginning. Um, running, like—like, like I, I still understand why they don't— why this offense isn't based on the deep passing game, and they're still running the same deep passing concepts where it's that same Yankee concept where you have two deep crosses and it's Hopkins and Stills against mass protection, and it doesn't work anymore. They keep doing the same thing, too. I, I think my least favorite thing about the offense now, though, is how they use play action, where play action becomes four-yard passes to Duke Johnson and Darren Fells Instead of play action, it takes shots you know 20 yards down the field. And the other thing I hate especially as well is Hopkins is 24th in DVOA this year, and he's this inside slot receiver. He's the worst version of Michael Thomas when he's an elite sideline receiver who's so good at you know, beating guys down the field and also just like making those go up and get it catches. And they kind of neutered that part of this game completely as well, too. Um, so, I don't know. I think it was just kind of like a typical Texans game where they would have you know, scored 10 points in the first half. They may have scored 14 in the second half, and they would have had to win this game like 24-18 to 18 or 27-24. And the problem with that is that you saw it happen against a team that attacks their secondary. What are they going to do in the postseason? Are they going to come out and try to score 27 points, or are they going to throw the ball deep downfield and try to make this 34 points, you know, whatever it's going to take to be a team like Kansas City, or Baltimore or Buffalo or Tennessee or Pittsburgh or whoever that may be.
1: Well, I think my favorite thing about the game was when I think we were down 31 to 3 at halftime. Yeah. And Bill O'Brien's first play call after halftime was Carlos Hyde up the middle. I mean, that told me everything I needed to know about his sense of urgency of what that team needed to do and which was he just didn't care. I mean, it was like he'd given up if that's your play call coming out of the – if that's the best thing you could come out with after halftime, then you – I'm just – I was speechless. Like, that's it. He's just given up right then and there.
0: Well, and that being said, too, so it was 31-3 at halftime, but Denver came out and scored right away. So it was 38-3 by the time – That's right. It was 38-3. That's right.
1: Thank you. Thank Um, you.
0: Because, you know, Jeff Howerman loves playing the Houston Texans. Remember last year, Case Keenum, when he had like 150 yards receiving? It was unbelievable that game.
1: And Matt Lacoste uh, for the pay- who's with the Patriots. He also had a great game against us that game.
0: Yeah, um, and, yeah, and they, they've been tight end, and they've been good at covering tight ends too this year. That was kind of surprising how good Fan was, how good uh, you know Bl- uh, Jeff Blake was or whatever his name is, something Blake, and then also Howardman too. <laughs> and like going back on the Laramie Tensel thing, so he has three false start penalties. He leads the league with 15, including 12 false starts this year. Um, and like you said about the thing about the officials are out for him, like the biggest one, I don't think that's true. I think he's rocking on of his stance. I don't think it's really anything close at all. And that big one obviously came on the, fir- on the first drive of the game. where are turning third and five and a third and 10. And the Texas offense also just kind of stalled out around like the 40-yard line too. Um, another question for you is that Hopkins was 28-50 for 292 yards. This comes up to 5.84 yards in attempt. Uh, on passes, plus 20 yards down the field, he was two for nine for 62 yards, one touchdown, one interception. So, like, do you think Watson had a bad game?
1: The the biggest problem I've got right now is – is you brought it up earlier. I'm glad we segued back to it. Is that when I watched Jared Goff last night and with the play action, what they were doing at the play action, when I watched Drew Locke on Sunday with the play action and, and the passes they were setting up, they were pushing the ball downfield. And Deshaun Watson, it, they're not setting him up with the play action to push the ball downfield. They're setting him up, like you said, to throw the ball to to Daniel Fells for four yards. That is a huge problem with their offense right now. And I think it's the worst biggest problem I have with that is I think it's by design. Like, no, I think it, it's, it is. It's like, that
0: it's turned the zone read into a pass play. And it's what they've been right. doing since the Kansas city game. And like that play doesn't work anymore. You know, it stopped working against Indy, you know, two weeks ago, it stopped working uh, in that blow against Baltimore, especially they did such a great job covering that play. And they brought it out again this last week against Denver too.
1: Yeah, because the problem is, I'm going to go back to, as a Texans fan, for, for many, many years, I'm going to go back to, I can't remember what year is 2011, when the first play against the Tampa Bay Bucs is a play action, and Matt Shaw throws the ball downfield to, to uh, Jacob, Jacoby Jones, for a big game. I mean, that's what you do with the play action, like, that's what the play action's for, is to push the ball downfield, not to use it as a run play.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's what and like if you look at the play action numbers too, it's it's they're they're running play action as much as they did last year, but then they're averaging like two yards less of play this year with it because of what they've turned it into. and, and it's I mean there's just something like uh, especially frustrating parts of this offense and again, like going back to the past defense, whenever they're in the whenever they're in the postseason or they play a round game against Denver or Denver's the a team being aggressive and really attack their secondary and stop not trying to establish the run. Like, what is your answer for that? Are you are you ready? Like, are you available to score thirty one points or thirty four points, whatever it's going to take? And this is the and the dumbest thing about this too is this is the exact same conversation we had last year when we talked about all the bad offenses that have to run the ball, not because they're good at it, but because their quarterbacks are Case Keenum and you know, guys like that. And then you take that and then you go to Sam Darnold throwing the ball downfield against some the Nick Foles throwing the ball downfield against them, and Houston like kind of being blindsided about it. By it and not being ready to play games like that against Indy in the wildcard round two. So, I guess like the only solace to come from this game, which I don't even know what that word even means. I know it was just uh, a <laughs> title of a 007 movie, is that, but like, if it means what I think it means, the only solace in this game is that maybe Houston kind of understands like, oh, wait, Denver is using play action like that. We can do that because we have a guy who's really good at doing that. He was really good at throwing the ball downfield. And wait, our pass defense is actually really bad in these last like three weeks been kind of fluky or these last like six weeks have been kind of fluky. Uh, maybe we need to start scoring, trying to score 34 points a game instead of scoring 10 points in the first half or six points in the first half. And then actually t- exploring the matchups are available all along in the second half. But like, that's the only hope or the only thing I I think you can, hopefully the only thing that's positive you can take from this game, you know?
1: So, so go, go to bullet point eight. Let's just go to that one. Cause I want to talk about establishing the run.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this week, i maybe I can make some like little theme song for for establish the run. <laughs> I'll uh yeah, we maybe we can try to figure something out. But this week we can establish the run. Carlos Hyde on first down was four carries for twenty-three yards, uh, which not, is not, five point seven no, no, yards an attempt. Duke Johnson had two first down carries for eighteen yards. Uh, and now on second seven plus, if we say a successful play is second and six, um uh, second seven plus Carlos High was five carries for twenty six yards, which is five point <laughs> two yards a carry. So do you think Houston did a better job managing the run game in this game? And also the most important thing I want to mention was that Carlos High ran the ball against eight plus defender boxes on just seven point one four percent of his runs this game.
1: So I'm gonna I'm not gonna answer your question. I'm gonna segue into what I wanna say because Okay. You know, I got to say this because Denver used the play action effectively, incredibly effectively against us. And they averaged like two yards a carry for the first like three quarters because you don't need to establish the run to throw the pass. Yeah, I think You're you not.
0: mentioned as uh, 2.7 yards a carry whenever you brought that
1: up. Right. And, and they, they couldn't run the ball if they had to. Phillip Lindsay had a terrible game because look, the Texans are still really good at stopping the run. DJ Reeder had an outstanding game on Sunday. DJ Reader, dude, can't say enough good things about him. He's easily the best guy on our defense. But you don't – you all you have to do is just show the play action. You're going to freeze the linebackers. You're going to freeze the safety. You're going to make people do things they don't want to do, and that's how you create the space. That's why the play action is so effective. And the better you are at hiding the ball like Matt Schaub was, like Deshaun Watson is.
0: Donovan Maynab was really good at that too
1: yeah he had yep. put the
0: ball like behind his butt, and you had no idea he'd have the ball at all,
1: yeah, but then he you know threw you a, you know three hopper to the wide receiver, oh well, yeah, in problem, like two thousand
0: and ten <laughs> in two thousand six, it was a little bit different, you know,
1: but uh so that's how the the Broncos killed us was with the play action. You don't need to establish a run to do that, and Bill O'Brien does not understand that in the least.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. that was one thing that broke me up the wall on Sunday.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really important point. And I know I'm so glad that I'm not mired in the muck of established the run Houston Texans Internet Talk because I couldn't do it at all because um, you're just screaming out into the woods and nobody's around to answer you, provide anything back. But Denver, this game, did average 3.3 yards of carry in their run game, and they were spectacular running play action this entire game, too. And, but... Going back to what I brought up in this one, I do think they were better about not establishing the run. This one, I think they did a much better job establishing the run game. I know, like some some of the conversation during the game was that you know Houston should have ran the football more, and I disagree. I think it was more like they, I think they kind of understood to go more spread out, get more open boxes, get Carlos Hyde against seven guys in the box or or six guys in the box and nickel defenses instead of you know first and ten shows up and you have a safety in the box and you're still running it. And so I think it was better, and maybe they finally learned something um, whenever it comes to establishing the run. Hopefully, maybe not, but hopefully.
1: I have no faith in Bill O'Brien, and, and his games like Sunday is why.
0: Yeah. Uh, the other player I want to talk about on offense, too, is Kiki Cutie. So he had a fumble that turn into a touchdown, but he did catch five out of his eight targets for 68 yards. And I think Cutie is really important to this offense. Just as far as like being able to spread things out, you can go three wide receiver sets. You have a guy who can actually attack the, the shallow parts of the field crossing routes with speed. He had one like really beautiful delay route, too, against man coverage, mm-hmm. and he can do things in a short passing game that 275-pound Darren Fellows can't do and that 270-pound Jordan Aikens can't do. And that's by beating slot corners in you know one-versus-one matchups. Get out in space where there's 9 by 15 yards around you, especially whenever you have Stills, Fuller, and Hopkins, you know, running downfield routes too. And I think he's such a vile component to this passing offense. And like I know like there's a that fumble happen and he's not a Bill O'Brien guy because he doesn't understand the playbook or whatever it is. But I think that's poor coaching on Houston's part to have such an important part of this offense just sitting there because you can't, you know, come up with fifteen plays a game that he'd be good at and making him an active for DeAndre Carter has no upside all whatsoever. Whenever you're gonna need him to be a team like Baltimore or Kansas City or New England again or whatever's going to happen in the postseason, if they even make the postseason, which we'll talk about in a second. But for them to be something more than like mediocre um, performance-wise, they need to have somebody like that who's a great check-down weapon, who can take advantage of space created by Fuller and Hopkins and Stills. And I think Cutie can be exactly that. So what do you think? Do you think he sucks? Because I've heard that comment kind of come up a bunch too. And do you think he's even going to play from here on out after the fumble?
1: Well, I was honestly, I was shocked he got snaps after the fumble. And the one thing about Bill O'Brien is guys just have a tendency to not come out of his doghouse. And Dwayne Brown is one. That might be Rick Smith, but it kind of seemed like a Bill O'Brien one. But then there's Brandon Brooks, Kahale Waring.
0: Well, we know what's up with Waring, though. Waring's just too hot for Bill O'Brien. He's too much of a Chad.
1: Yeah, he can't yeah, take it. True. He can't take how
0: hot Kahale Waring is.
1: More and more growls coming tonight. So, uh, there, there's a whole, like, fetish with the Bill O'Brien guy. And so, I, I don't really know how to address that. And we'll see on Sunday. Does Cutie come out? Does he play? He I hope he does. Is he active? Because he's been a healthy scratch so often. So, he, he should be out there. He should be playing. But, you know, once again, it's like Bill O'Brien, he just kind of gets this idea into his head. And it's like, oh nope, that guy's never getting the ball again. He's never going to see the field again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I think I think he's talented. I think he's a good football player. I think he's just been kind of scrambled around this year too. And like, it's it's the thing is also he just hasn't had a lot of reps. And so, if a fumble like that happens, like, yeah, maybe if he's had more than you know twenty catches this year, he's actually been utilized throughout the offense. And he's not doing dumb things like returning punts in Green Bay in a preseason football game. You know, you were able to take better advantage of the the talent you have available to at your disposal because again, this is a bad pass defense. Um, they're gonna get people are gonna score. Teams are gonna score on them. Baltimore is gonna score on them. Denver is able to when teams are more aggressive and not doing dumb things like Indy did and Jacksonville did and going up against teams like New England and Oakland. They don't have any receiver talent whatsoever. Like games like this happen, and they they have to be prepared to score. You know, thirty points, thirty three points, or whatever. And like twenty four points is gonna cut it, especially with the with the players that they have on offense and everything else as well too. Um, the last thing I wanted to add about the run game, I know we touched on earlier with Carlos Hyde. I think the one thing that's, that must be really frustrating for the Texans as play callers for Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien is to invest, you know, two first-round picks in a second-round pick <laughs> in Laramie Tunsil, a second-round pick in Max Sharping, a second-round pick in an extension to Nick Martin. Um, I know Zach Fulton's paid $6.5 million a year, and a first-round pick in Tyus Howard, who's benched, who's you know injured, of course, and Chris Clark's replacing him. And invest all these resources in the offensive line, and then have Mike Devlin say things like, "Yeah, the offensive line's better because I have better players." Whatever, you know. Uh, we won't get into that entirely because that's a that's a whole another twenty minute diatribe. But it must be extremely frustrating for them to invest this much into their offensive line and still not be able to like run the ball in third and one and expect they're going to get it, or to run the ball in first and ten and expect anything more than you know two yards or whatever. And I and I think the biggest problem is they just don't block the second level very well. And there's been so much, you know, fluidity on it too. And like Larry Tunsil, like he's a great pass blocker in that one-on-one matchup, but he doesn't do incredible spectacular things in the run game that kind of like make him worth all the draft capital invested in him as well too. Uh, But yeah, I I feel like I can have some sympathy for those two, for them to invest that much into it, even if they pick players that I wouldn't have picked. To try to you know grow and build this offensive line, make the decisions that they made. But I can understand if they feel bad or angry watching the film every day, after everything they put into it to still get the results that they've had.
1: Yeah, that's that's why uh when people try to rehab Brian Gaines' image as a great draft or a talent, that's why I just kinda laugh. It's it's just like, look at the first three picks of of last year. It was sharping or in order, it was Howard. I think was Sharping, and then and Lonnie Johnson. In order, look, you got a cornerback who can't play. You got a right tackle who had to be moved to guard, and you have a left tackle who already has moved to right tackle. And you know, Lonnie Johnson, granted, is a great physical specimen. Sharping's not an athlete. Titus Howard sure as hell ain't an athlete. So I I, I don't know where you you got guys who would have been good in nineteen eighty. So, it, I am really perplexed at people who think that Brian Gain is great at drafting talent because th- this is there. Oh, my God. Look at all the picks we have to give up on the offensive line. And we have four guys who can't get to the second level and one guy who's not a good run blocker.
0: Yeah. And that's the biggest problem I see is that they just don't block the second level. And it's been like this since, you know, 2015, since Brian Hoyer was the quarterback. Um, so, anything else on the offense you want to add?
1: God, it's just so frustrating. I look at that offensive <laughs> line, and I, I, I just get tongue-tied. Zach Martin's not good. I call him Zach again. Nick Martin's not good. Fulton's fine-ish in the right situation. He was better. Sharping, he
0: was better in Kansas City.
1: He was better in just like everybody else is. Everybody's better in, in a different uh, uniform than uh, the Texans when it comes to run blocking or when it comes to offensive line. But look, Mac Sharping was terrible on Sunday, and Titus Howard's hurt, and he wasn't all that great during the season, I, I don't expect them to be okay. I don't expect Sharping to be, I don't see the physical talent there for them to excel at this level. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, it hurts me. Sorry. Yeah. And I think,
0: yeah. I think after the season, ends too, I'll probably write an article about Sharping and an article about Howard. And you know, cause this is the Texans offensive line going forward. Like this is it. These are their guys. And they even did things this game too, where they benched Bolton, put Manx in, they bench Clark and put Johnson in like in the second half. Like, they weren't. They were. They weren't struggling because of their offensive line. There's just nobody open for Watson on a lot of those passes too. I think pass protection was a lot bad. There just wasn't much open, um, and I think it was like really frustrating for Watson to drop back and scrambling and looking and looking and looking. There's nothing really there at all either too. Um, but yeah, that was. We talked way too much about this game. I can't believe we did that. But uh, <laughs> I can. Yeah. I oh, don't know. When you have two beautiful minds like this. You know, sparring in the in the realm of, of casting and intellectual conversations is what happens.
1: God, you're just so sexy to look at the entire <sighs> podcast. Come on now. <laughs> That's for you, Huggy.
0: So for the playoffs, <laughs> the Texans are playing the tie ins this week. It's finally time to tie it up. I have like seventy five tightening up screenshots I've saved like this <laughs> off season in preparation for this game. A lot of it's just like here's my magic two screenshots and things like that. Um, but as you mentioned, as you sent to me on Twitter, after Football Outsiders posted their playoff odds that Rivers McCown you know, posted as well too that we're talking about today, which is how the, the chain reaction works on the internet. But Tennessee now is has the greatest probability to win the division. A big reason for that is they are better than Houston is from a performance standpoint. They have 54.8% chance to win the division. Houston's at 43.4%. Their playoff odds dropped by 21.1% after losing to the Denver Broncos last week. Both teams are 8-5 and entering this weekend's game in Nashville. Houston plays Tampa Bay in Week 16 on Saturday afternoon, uh, the college football game. And then Tennessee's going to play New Orleans in week, six, in week 16. And then Week 17, of course, they're playing in Houston for what may be, hopefully, damn, there's nothing else I want more in the world than a Week 17 AFC South championship game. And it may be in Houston. And if it is, I'm going for sure. Um the other thing that's important to mention is that the first tiebreaker is head-to-head. So if either one of these teams sweeps their matchup against each other, they make the playoffs. The second tiebreaker is divisional record. The Texans are 3-1. and They swept Jacksonville. They went 1-1 and against Indy. The Titans are 2-2. and They went 1-1 and against both Indy and Jacksonville. So Houston, to win the division, they need a split with Tennessee, and they need to beat Tampa Bay. And that Tampa Bay team lost Mike Evans for the season probably. Jameis Winston may have a fracture thumb, so who knows what's going to happen uh, there in Tampa as well, too. So, BFD, how do you think this plays out? Are you expecting the Texans to make the playoffs? Are you expecting the Titans to sweep them? Um, how are you feeling right now?
1: It's a fascinating scenario that's really kind of played out. It, it's, I, I just want to go back to... Um...
0: I feel like it's election night right now, where I'm talking about counties and, you know, oh, and polling really numbers is. and...
1: So what what I wanted to point out, though, is also in the playoff odds is that it's got uh, uh, Houston as the, so the top 15 on the playoff odds. It's got Houston as the lowest for the Super Bowl win, Houston for the lowest conference win, and Houston for the lo- uh, third lowest conference appearance. I mean, Football Outsiders has absolutely no faith in the Texans with good reason. I think it's because they're so erratic, and and they see other teams like Tennessee and Buffalo and Kansas City and New England. And granted, we beat two of those teams, but you know we showed up those games, and some games we don't show up. Mm-hmm. So
0: and you have to show up to uh, every game in the postseason too.
1: Yep, and, and Winston is. I'm looking right now. I also cheated. Winston's supposed to play on Sunday. It looks like yes, or is going to come back. So Good. he's going to play. And, I, and look, he's
0: my favorite player. I think this year. As much as I he's, love Josh Allen, he's just so spectacular and beautiful.
1: he's like um like Ryan Fitzpatrick and Rex Grossman and, combined.
0: And kinda like Russell Wilson too, with like how he's maneuvering in the pocket nowadays. And I I also think he's kinda like Jacoby Brissett as well. But he's like Florida man version of Brissett's how I describe him. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. So he might throw four interceptions. He might throw six touchdowns. We don't know.
0: He, you know what's gonna? You know what he's probably gonna do is both in the same game. He's gonna throw six <laughs> touchdowns and then four interceptions and then take five sacks and then somehow they're gonna score you know thirty one points while throwing two pick sixes at the same time.
1: Yep, and then hit the mascot. Um, so yeah, so as uh, River said, somebody asked, "Why is uh, Tennessee so much you know higher on the playoff odds and?" The Texans with the same records and all that sort of thing. It's because the Titans have a much better DVOA. They're looked at as a much better team. And one of the things the Titans are going to do, God, I can't believe I'm saying the real name, is they're going to push the ball down the field. Ryan Tannehill has been really aggressive about getting the ball downfield, and it's a completely different team. Off of
0: play action, especially. And these touch passes he's throwing are, oh, they're unbelievable. Like, it's his touch, like, he's never thrown touch passes like this before. It's always been like, you know, straight on line, rocket, 35-yard throws. But these touch passes have been just wonderful from them this season.
1: Yep, and so I think that's going to be a huge deal in the game on Sunday is Tannehill's going to rip us apart.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, in so many different ways. And I think also what's interesting about Tennessee too is they have a a good pass defense, but without a pass rush. But their pass rush isn't that great, but Jeffrey Simmons has been good. Dean Pease has drawn a lot of cool blitzes. Like, Logan Ryan loves to blitz. And that's kind of the, the other problem for Houston is they've blocked the individual pass rushing matchups well, but the problem they've is against blitzes, and Pease is, is going to get aggressive. He's going to blitz a lot. And don't forget, this is the same Titans team that held Houston to, what, like nine points week two last year, and they lost to Blaine Gabbert and had the fake punt touchdown, and all those sorts of, like, zany things. Um, I'm super excited for this Sunday. I think I'm going to do a tie-in-up article on Derek Henry and their run offense because, like... I've wrote that four four times or so, and it's always kind of fun to go back to. And I, I think the big thing is I'll just write from the angle of this is his numbers with Mariota. This is his numbers with Tannehill. This is what throwing to run is. This is what running to throw does. And the difference between the two and also like all the light box numbers as well that Henry's face have, I think tr- changed some as well.
1: Yeah. And I was pulling it up really quickly as quickly as I could to look at the schedule. But ever since they made that change, the, BSFs. So I think right they've lost
0: I think they've lost one game.
1: Yep. Yep. They've lost one game since since uh, Tannehill came in. It's a completely different team.
0: Yeah, and that game that Mariota got knocked out of in that Denver game, I think he was four of thirteen in two interceptions. And one of those interceptions led to a Joe Flacco touchdown and that was the Broncos only touchdown that game and they won like seventeen to three. And Tannehill threw like one red zone interception. But so how do you think this plays out, BFD? Are you expecting the Texans to win the division, make the playoffs? Uh, What do you think is going to happen here?
1: Oh, my goodness. Just looking at it, with Tannehill at the helm, they're averaging about, quick math, they're averaging about 37
0: points a game. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This is really going to be a dirty diaper tonight.
1: I think, uh, so So, uh, uh, my friend, football outsiders thomas gower and i've been chatting about this game quite a bit and i and then rivers chimed in a little bit i think this is going to be a really it's going to be a high scoring game i think it's going to be a shootout i think we're gonna see both teams being able to move the ball up and down the field on the other team the difference for me is going to be is that the texans can't stop anybody defensively and i think it's just going to be the titans are going to outscore uh yeah i hate saying the real name the bsf's are going to just outscore the Texas. I think it's going to be something like a 42-31 a to 31 kind of game.
0: Yeah, and they're averaging 31.4 points a game since Tannehill came in. Their one loss to Car- was to Carolina. I think Derrick Henry had two carries in the entire first half against Carolina, and that was the good p- version of the Panthers team that still had games to play for. And the Panthers have been awful against the run, against the- good against the pass, and they failed to feed Derrick Henry in that game too. Um, but like, overall, I like, do you think you- you're dodging the difficult question here. Do you think? How do you think this plays out? Do you think the Texans win the division? Do you think they win a wild card? How do you? For the, with three games left in the season, how do you think this plays out?
1: I, I absolutely think the, the BSFs are going to beat us twice.
0: And Houston's going to be the five seed then.
1: No, Houston's not going to make the playoffs.
0: Do you think they're going to go like eight if, and eight?
1: Yeah, I think if Houston does not, because you have got to uh, remember that.
0: You think Jameis is going to take them out?
1: I, th- I think because they basically have to win out to do this, and I think I don't think they're capable of doing that. And so you've got Buffalo's nine and four, Pittsburgh's eight and five,
0: and Pittsburgh and then, plays Buffalo Sunday night.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So it's going to be close. I don't know if we make the playoffs.
0: And Pittsburgh ends the year with at the Jets and then against the Ravens too. And the Ravens may bench all their stars that game as well.
1: Yeah, I think our playoff chances are now.
0: They're forty three point four percent.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be close.
0: Yeah, I think they split with Tennessee. And we just, should
1: blow them out both damn games. Well, That's the most frustrating thing about it. I don't know. Like
0: Tennessee's playing really well. I think they split. I think they beat Tampa. I still think they win the division because they typically do, you know. And uh, I could see it not happening, but I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I think they, I think they split them, beat Tampa. I think that game that. Tennessee lost on Thursday night football against Jackson. Like week three is really going to hurt them. No. Um, but yeah, is there anything else at all you have?
1: Oh no, I'm done. <laughs> great,
0: <laughs> great. So that's our show for tonight. Thank you for listening, everybody. Make sure to give the show five stars, give it a podcast review, um, and screenshot me if you do and send it to me. And maybe I have like a an old book laying around I can give to you. Uh, we're we're. <laughs> We're doing stuff for the fans now. This is a contest extravaganza podcast now. Uh, And we'll be back on later this week for a Week 15 preview. Maybe if I have the time for it, I may do like a a Tennessee-specific preview. Maybe uh, DM Tom or somebody else in the Titansville to talk about them in this game as well as we get kind of later on into it Uh, and really dive the knife like really deep deep and hard into the chest of this game because it is the most important game this season. So in the meantime... Matt Weston, thank you for listening to Balbright Radio and thank you for being on tonight, BFT.